Well, today we're going to uh, come to the last chapter in First Peter, and we're really not going to dive into it a lot. We're just going to kind of read it today because there's something a little bit more foundational before we kind of walk through the first part of chapter 5 that's uh, really important for us. Um, and so we will do that. Let me, let's go ahead and read um, the text this morning. Uh, we will walk through this intimately and, and in depth uh, next week, but just want to touch on it today. First Peter chapter 5 in verse 1. So I exhort the elders among you as a fellow elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ, as well as a partaker in the glory that is to be revealed. Shepherd the flock of God that is among you. Interesting there, that is among you. Not who are somewhere else, but the ones that are there. We are to shepherd the ones who are here and connected. So shepherd the flock that is among you, exercising oversight over them. Don't do this under compulsion, but willingly, as God would have you, not for shameful gain, but eagerly. Not domineering over those in your charge, but being examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. So this phrase, so, or therefore, in verse 1, the very first part of this sentence, points back to what we have been looking at over the last couple of weeks. And that is the unjust suffering that was coming to these believers. And so Peter now is going to step in and say this. One of the things that people who are suffering under, under persecution is they really need leadership and leaders who understand the reality of what is happening and taking place. And so he's telling the elders among this group of church people, saying to them who've, who, who are locally gathering together, shepherd those under your care who are there and you take care of them. And the reason is, is part of the persecution is there needs to be direction, there needs to be sacrifice, and so he's encouraging them in that. The main emphasis of these first four verses of chapter 5 is the word shepherd, and it is mentioned twice in there in, in, in verse 2, if you look at verse 2, shepherd the flock of God that is among you, and he talks about how to do that. And then in verse 5, he says, like um, in verse 4, And when the chief shepherd appears, referring to Jesus, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. So that is the emphasis in these first four verses. So we're going to start today and kind of get an idea of what it means to shepherd. What, it, what is a shepherd? What does a shepherd do? What's the life of the sheep in regard to that? And then next week we will walk into what does that practically look like within the church based on these first four verses here. So the main emphasis here is to shepherd the, those who are dealing with the persecution under Nero and to do this with faithful, godly guidance and counsel and holiness in regard to the leadership within the church. Now, in our day and time in the West, we are very much wrapped up in technology and all of this, and this agriculture aspect of things here in the West is a little bit foreign to us. Probably none of us know anybody who's a shepherd. We may have been around and seen it driving down the road. I know sometimes I drive down the road here and, and you, can, you can see, okay, there's sheep in there, but there's not really a shepherd. They're just kept in a pen. And so this idea of what does this mean to have a shepherd? God is our shepherd. How we are to shepherd, what should that look like? So let me just remind us, Jesus embraced this role himself. This understanding that he was the shepherd. 
On the night that he was betrayed, he told the apostles, this is what's about to happen. So Matthew 26, 31, he says this. Then Jesus said to them, you, are, you will all fall away because of me this night. For it is written, and he quotes Zechariah, I will strike the shepherd and the sheep of the flock will be scattered. So Jesus is referring to himself there. I'm the shepherd. You're the sheep that I've been leading. I've been guiding you. And they're going to strike the shepherd tonight and you're going to flee. You're going to kind of run away. You're going to do your own thing. We know from John 10, 11, Jesus said this, I am the good shepherd and the good shepherd lays his life down for the sheep. Peter has already told us that Jesus is the shepherd, and that we are sheep in First Peter 2, 25, where he said, For you are straying like sheep, but have now returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. So shepherds spend time with their sheep. And since this profession of shepherding is one that's kind of lost on us, we don't really know the details of that. I think before you and I can understand how do elders, how do leadership shepherd the flock in a local congregation, I think we ought to go back to and look at what does the Bible has to have to, what does the Bible have to say about God in this role and how do we as under shepherds lead within the church. Over two hundred times in the Bible, God calls his people sheep. And just to be honest with you this morning, that is not an encouraging thing. Okay? So everybody sitting next to you on your row, everybody sitting behind you, we're all sheep. We are referred to over 200 times in the Bible as sheep, and that is not a positive thing as we will see here in just a moment. So what I would like to do today is I would like to, to, to describe God as the great shepherd, Christ as the great shepherd, because I think without a biblical understanding of this, we, we will lose the meaning of uh, 1 Peter 5, 1 through 4. So it's really important that we get an idea and a clear idea of Jesus. And I think one of the most beautiful pictures in the Bible um, of who Christ is, is this picture of him as the good shepherd. So why do you and I need a shepherd? Why, why is it necessary for us? You know, we're Americans. We're supposed to pull ourselves up by our bootstraps. We're just supposed to be independent. We're supposed to be all of that kind of stuff. Well, sheep are incredibly independent at times and unbelievably in need of dependency on the shepherd. And it's their independence that gets them and all of the trouble that they have, and it's why the shepherd needs to step in. So let me give you some principles about sheep before we walk through another text this morning. Keep in mind, every one of these things I'm about to say describes every single one of us. Don't go, well, that ain't me. Oh, yeah? (laughs) Whatever. I bet if we could videotape, show pictures of us, every one of these. The first principle about sheep is this, is they have an extreme lack of direction, sense of direction. Sheep can get lost at home. They, they, they literally can get lost at home. If they wander too far away from what they know, they easily get lost. They're the only animals in the world that literally get lost within a few miles of their home. Most animals know how to get it get back home. We read these stories from time to time. Some dog fell out, of the, fell out of the car somewhere and traveled hundreds and hundreds of miles and made its way back home. There's an innate sense of most in the animal kingdom uh, to be able to make it back home, but not sheep. We know Isaiah 53, 6 says this, all we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone 
to his own way. And we could never get back home without the shepherd leading us. Second principle about sheep is this, is they have very, very poor vision. Now, they have great lateral vision. So they can see things on the side of them, and they can see in front of them, but they just can't see very far in front of them. They can see about 10 to 15 yards in front of them, clearly, and you get beyond that, and things kind of get a little bit blurry. Excellent peripheral vision, bad vision directly in front of them. And so beyond that, because things are blurry, they need someone looking out for them. You and I are that way. We can see things directly in front of us, and we we can get excited about that, and we can be moving with that, but then all of a sudden things can kind of come blurry, and we lose our sense of direction. Third principle about sheep is this, is I call them intelligently dumb. They're not really stupid, not really dumb in, in some aspects, and then some aspects they really are. So there's, they, they are pretty intelligent and resourceful in some ways, but there's also an aspect of things um, that they are not good at. And I, I've likened this in times past when we've kind of talked about this subject of this. You and I are that way as well, are we not? How many times have we promised God that we're never going to do something again? And what do we do? We do it again. And then we promise Him we never do it again. And what do we do? We do it again. And we, we spend this life saying, God, I'm not going to do this again and doing it again. And we are intelligently dumb at times in our life and the way we live. Fourth principle about sheep is this, is that they are dirty animals. Cats, I'm not sure why God made cats, but God made cats, okay? They have an innate instinct to clean themselves licking themselves all the time and then they get hairballs and cough up and all of this sheep cannot clean themselves they can't bend they are not they are stiff animals they can't bend in any kind of way to clean themselves and they also don't have a nature to help one another in this process and if you think sheep are always woolly white then you and i are wrong in their skin, their hide emits this oil called lanolin, and it gets all over their wool. So as they walk during the day, everything they touch, it gets into there or gets onto. And so most sheep, if you were to get close to them far away, they might seem white. But if you were to get close to them, they have all kinds of things that have attached itself because of where they walk, because of this oil that they, that they emit from their hide, and it gets on there. So sometimes the shepherd consistently, daily, has to clean and clean and clean and clean. You and I walk through this world, and things attach themselves to us if we're not careful. And it affects how we live our lives, speak, how we see Jesus, and it affects everything. So it's sometimes this is a daily work for the shepherd. The fifth principle about sheep is this, is they are defenseless. Does anybody know any sports teams named the sheep? Nobody wants to be named the sheep. They are not aggressive animals. They are not mighty animals. As a matter of fact, sheep are so defenseless, they cannot protect themselves. So let me share a few things about them. If a predator comes, most animals, predator comes, what does the animal do? Runs away, right? You know what a sheep does? They all huddle together. They just run and huddle together, making themselves and everybody else in the flock an easy prey for everyone. And so, so sometimes, though, a sheep's by itself and a predator comes. And let's say like this is a mountain here or a cave or a cliff. And the predator will chase the sheep to a place there. And the sheep gets so frightened it shakes and it falls over. So the predator can easily come up and capture the sheep and eat it and kill it. 
Sheep also have, and particularly in Israel, the birds called ravens will land on a sheep's head, and they're so defenseless to do anything about it, the ravens will try to pluck the eyes out of the sheep. And so the shepherd uses his slingshot and uses some other means in regard to that. So I just want to remind us this morning about this principle. Outside of Jesus Christ, you and I are defenseless. We have no protection. We need to be sealed by the Spirit. We need to be covered by the blood. And last principle about the sheep is this, is they have a lack of discernment in their lives. They can't discern what a poisonous plant looks like and what a non-poisonous plant looks like. So they have to rely on the shepherd to make sure that he's leading them and watching what they are eating and what they are doing. And I'll be honest with you this morning, it's almost as if in the animal kingdom, God created sheep for one single purpose. To use as an illustration to what you and I are like and the desperate need that you and I have for Him. So all of these things, those six principles, reveal why you and I need a shepherd. Now before we, we're going to go to Psalm chapter 23 in just a moment. You can go ahead and turn there if you want to. It's important for you and I to see where Psalm 23 is placed. Psalm chapter 22 is a cross psalm. All of these prophetic words about Jesus coming to die on the cross. So Psalm 22 is a cross psalm. Psalm 23 is the shepherd psalm. So Jesus coming to die, suffering, Psalm 22. Psalm 23, shepherd leading his people, caring for them, providing for them. Psalm chapter 24 is the glory psalm, that, the, that God gets the glory, Jesus gets the glory. The earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. And so I think strategically placed Psalm 22 through 24 with 23 in the middle has been done by the Spirit and is really important for us. And so what I'd like to do, and it's been years since we've done this, um, I had fun this week. In 1993, um, I listened to a sermon. I was at a youth ministry conference, and I listened to a sermon on Psalm chapter 23. Um, Though I had grown up in the church, and though we didn't go all the time, I'd grown up in church, I'd never heard teaching of Psalm 23. I had heard Psalm 23 every time I went to a what? A funeral. Let me just say this. We have done Psalm 23 wrong. Psalm 23 is not a funeral psalm. It's not a funeral psalm. It's not to be read when someone has died. You can read it. There's application there. Psalm 23 is the summary of the entire Christian life in regard to sheep relating to the shepherd. It's a summary. Some of you can relate to this. Y'all have heard of cliff notes, right? Remember college? You didn't read what you were supposed to read, and so the day before you went and got the summary version or you rented the movie, So you could watch it, you could take the test and write the paper, whatever the case was. Psalm 23 is the Cliff Notes version of the entire life in relationship with Christ. It is a beautiful picture of what this looks like in our lives. What I did this week, since about 1993, I've been gathering story after story after story, and I threw them in a file, and I've never updated it until this week. And so I went through this week and just walked through everything that I'd thrown into this file that I didn't use, I I speak this from time to time, other places, but I added some things this week that I think you and I will find encouraging and challenging this morning. All right, let's look at Psalm chapter 23. Let's go through all of it, and then we'll walk through it. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. 
He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He restores my soul. He leads me or guides me in paths of righteousness for his namesake. And even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil and my cup overflows. And he closes this. Surely goodness and love or goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life. And I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. So I want to share with you this morning, before we walk through what does it look like to shepherd leaders, leaders in a church, shepherd people, you and I ought to see what the real shepherd is like. So y'all with me? So let's see what he's like, and we can learn some things, and I'll make some application this morning. First thing this morning is the summary of the psalm is verse 1. And I've entitled the point this morning, the reservoir of life. A reservoir is a place that holds something, and it it holds everything, and, and, and things come out of that. And so David writes, the Lord is my shepherd I shall not want, or in other words, I don't have any needs because of this relationship that I have. So the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He is the reservoir of life. All of life is bound up, tied into God, Christ as our shepherd. Now these are Holy Spirit-inspired words by a former shepherd who became a king, who made some great decisions and not so great decisions. And I believe David wrote Psalm 23, just a personal opinion, after all these years of study. I think he wrote it at the end of his life, not early on in his life, because there's a depth of maturity in Psalm chapter 23 that a 20-year-old doesn't get. But a 60 or 70-year-old gets it because they've lived a life of making decisions that honor God, making decisions that don't honor God, and having to learn from those things, and then also just having to walk through life and just stuff happens where you have to cry out to God and ask God for guidance and counsel. So there's a maturity connected with this, and particularly I think he wrote it at the end of his life because of verse 6. Because a mature person looks back over their life and says, surely goodness and mercy, goodness and love, they have followed me all the days of my life. A 20-year-old doesn't get that, really. Because a 20-year-old thinks, I'm going to live forever, I've got time. But an older person looks back and says, God was always, always at work in my life. So, if he is our shepherd, the natural consequence, David says, is we will not want. If we find in our life, I'm wanting, I'm wanting, I don't think God's meeting my needs, then we are fully not seeing Christ as our shepherd. And so here's the thing. David says, here's the theme of the psalm. Here's the theme of your life. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. And the idea here is simply this. Is that you and I are the poorest shepherds of our lives, but we want to guide our life. We want to be the one that's in control, but we make really, really poor shepherds of our own life. We become... our own worst enemy, and so we need someone outside of ourselves who can see beyond what we can see, who has a power that we do not have. And so when we have a clear recognition of God as the giver and sustainer of our lives, we will see that we literally lack nothing in our life, and it moves us to a place to just want Him more and more. 
want here is not this fleeting emotion, ever-changing desires that are connected to selfishness. This one here literally means this. It means that the needs are provided to the sheep by the shepherd. And in the proper context, the sheep understands this reality, leading the sheep to recognize the shepherd is always going to take care of me. He is always going to lead me to the right place. And if we seem to go through a place like the valley of the shadow of death and I feel uneasy about it, I know that he's with me and he knows what he's doing and I can trust God because of that. And so he becomes the reservoir of life for us. And so if we're going to experience life, then we have to go to him because he holds life. We know this, John 14, 6. I am the way, I am the truth, and I'm what? I'm the life, I'm the life. He's the one who holds this. We have not always done well with this. Israel did not always do well with this. Jeremiah wrote to Israel and he said this, Be appalled, O heavens, at this, and be shocked. Be utterly desolate, declares the Lord. For my people have committed two evils, two sins. They have forsaken me, the fountain of living waters. I am the reservoir. I hold the water of life. I hold everything that they needed. And they said, we don't really want that. We're going to dig ourselves, our own cisterns that hold water but it's water that's brackish and it doesn't have the nutrients and the, the health that I need. And so Jeremiah says, and they've hewed out cisterns for themselves and they're broken cisterns and they really don't hold any water. And I believe that what you and I long for more than anything else is a guide, someone who's going to lead us to real life. Now, two aspects under this that I, I wanna, I'm going to talk about just for a moment. Sheep know the voice of the shepherd, and the sheep are known by the shepherd. So over time, what happens is, the more the shepherd spent time with his sheep, he just didn't hang out with them, but he would sing, he would talk with them, he would get on his knees and speak with them. He gave every sheep a name. He knew them intimately. And there are two aspects of this that we, when we come to understand that he is the, he is the life that you and I need, the first thing we know is this, is that we begin to know his voice. If sheep in Israel, three, a lot of times in, in Israel there were caves that, that were really large and, and a number of, uh, of, of herds or flocks, you can call it either one of those, would stay in, at night in the same pen or the same cave. When the morning came, one shepherd would get there, one would get here, and one would get there. And all they would have to do, the morning lights coming in, they would begin to call out. They just would speak. And the sheep would come out of the, the sheep gate, the pen there, and they would go. And as they listened, they knew exactly. They didn't even have to look. They knew just by hearing which direction they needed to go. Oh, my shepherd's over there because I know his voice. I know my shepherd's here or my shepherd's over there. And so there is to be an aspect of our life that we are so intimate with God that we can recognize His voice and we know that, that His voice is the one that we must go to. The second thing is not only do, are we to know that He is the life and we know His voice, but the shepherd marks us and he, as He marked the sheep that were His. So what a shepherd would do is this. Every shepherd had a unique thing that he would do. He would take his sheep and he would lay them down on the ground and he would take a block of wood about like this size that was kind of thick. And he would lay the sheep down. And he would, from his side, he would take out his knife. He would have a knife. 
and he would hold the sheep down and he'd put its ear on that block of wood and he would carve and he would cut the sheep's ear. They didn't, they don't have, it's not, it's not a painful thing for the sheep. And he would mark, every shepherd had a unique mark that he would make so that if they were ever out somewhere, when a sheep would turn and look at the shepherd, he could look at the ears and he would know that one's mine because of the marking. The scripture says that the Lord has marked us by the Spirit. We know that we are His children because we have been marked uniquely by Him. So when David writes, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. It is an aspect of understanding that we get to a place where we know His voice, but we also know this, that He knows us. He knows who are His. And as a church leaders, we are called to, to you and, and my role here to preach on Sunday mornings is to point you to the all-satisfying nature of Christ, that He's the reservoir of life. He's the one that you've got to come to. And so that's the theme of the song. <clears throat> and by the way, originally this was a song. The Psalms were songs. And I, I thought this week about what it must have been for David later on in his life to pen this psalm and to sing it. And I pictured him going out to, leaving the palace, going out, remembering his life and going out to the fields again and, and singing this and worshiping there in the land of Israel, thinking back how God has been so good to him. So verse 1 is the theme, the Lord is my shepherd. Now what David's going to do, he's going to say, I'm going to show you how he meets your needs and how he leads you. He makes me lie down in green pastures. In other words, this, he is our rest. So one, he's the reservoir of life, and he is also now our rest. And I believe rest biblically encompasses three things. I think it encompasses a physical rest. I believe it encompasses a spiritual rest. And that it encompasses a place where there is a contentedness that comes in our life. Contentment is a confident trust in God's faithfulness that brings a security in our lives no matter the circumstances. That's why Paul, we love to quote Philippians 4.13. I think it's a mistake to quote Philippians 4.13 without quoting what is before it. Because you don't understand what he means by, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me, if you don't understand what's before it, and this is what's before it. Paul is in a Roman prison, writing to the church in Philippi, and he writes these words. Not that I'm speaking of being in need, for I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content. I know how to be brought low, and I know how to abound. In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, in abundance and need. Therefore, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. And I believe that the shepherd gives, God gives a contentedness, a rest in us, that no matter what the situation is, we can trust him. And so therefore, a lack of confident trust in Christ, that he can't handle this situation, he can't handle this moment, leads us to a place of uneasiness. And here in America... In most of the Western heritage, we have a five-day work week, supposedly we're supposed to, you know. And originally, what was behind all of that was this. Then Saturday were to came, and you were to go out and enjoy creation. Because, because in the Western world, there was a 
God-centered worldview. And so you worked Monday through Friday. Saturday was the day that you went out and you enjoyed the creation. And then Sunday was the day that you enjoyed remembering, gathering with God's people, what he had done in the cross. He makes us rest, David says. We all had to do this with our kids when they were little. Remember, sometimes kids, they don't want to go to bed, so you hold them tight. And eventually they give up in your arms. And I think sometimes God does that with us. He just says, why are you so driven? Why do you do this to yourself? And he makes us rest. He makes us come to a place that we do so. And the reason is, is that sheep aren't smart enough to stop and rest. And so the shepherd has to make them rest. You know, it's interesting. Do you remember how many years the Babylonian and Persian captivity were? Y'all remember? It's the number after 60, uh, 10 more after 60, 70 years. God had established in the law, one day a week you were to rest, and then every seven years there was to be a Sabbath year where the land rested. Do you know that for 490 years they didn't take that seventh year? totaling up to 70 years. Guess how long the Babylonian captivity was? 70 years. And it was almost as if God was saying, okay, you didn't obey me. You didn't listen to me. I'm going to make you rest. And it's going to be kind of a brutal kind of rest. But in this rest, I'm going to remind you that you need to trust what I've told you. And so for 70 years, they were in captivity. And over about a 500-year period, they didn't take that Sabbath year rest. And so God made them. See, sheep won't rest if they are fearful they won't rest if they're not in right relationship with one another they will not rest if they are tormented by distractions flies love these um these flies love to to lay their eggs inside the sheep's nose and and we'll talk more about that here in a moment and the sheep will just get so distracted by that that they will rub their nose raw till it bleeds because the the hatching of the eggs inside their nose and you know in our life is this way when we are so distracted and we're just banging our head against the wall trying to figure out something. There's no rest that, that's there and comes into our lives. So he's the reservoir of life. He is rest. And secondly, he refreshes. He leads me beside still waters. 70% of a sheep's body is water. And this water determines the strength and vitality and the direction and the rest of the sheep. And just like sheep, we are the same way. Sheep are interesting. You know, a lot of animals can sense um, where water is. And they kind of know where to go and, and find water. Sheep, um, th- they don't know how to do this. And, and this driving thirst of sheep leads them to wander away from time to time. Um, most animals have an innate ability to find water. Sheep do not. They can't sense it. They don't know where it is. Um, and in their wandering, if they are not led to the right place, they will go to polluted holes and they will drink water that will be very, very dangerous to them. They will search with no ability to find what they literally need for their lives. So let me tell you what happens in the Old Testament. And it happens today. In Israel, a shepherd will carry his sheep and lead them up into the mountain. And because of the location of the mouth and the nose and the ears of sheep, Um, they can easily get disoriented with loud, rushing water. And so they have a hard time drinking um, rushing water as well because their mouth and their nose are just right there together. And so they need quiet waters. And so a shepherd will do this as he will come up to a place and they've 
walked up into the mountain and the hills and the water from the snow has been melting in Israel and, and, and the water's coming down and, and it's loud and it's banging against the rocks. Literally sheep, if they'll try, they're so thirsty. If they try, some of them will literally step into the water and the water's rushing and their, their, their equilibrium gets messed up because of the sound and they will literally fall over in the water and they will be pulled out to the deeper and they will drown because they, they can't handle it. So a shepherd will take his staff from the fast-moving water, and he will furrow a little bit of a place, and he will take that down to a lower place away from the water with rocks and other things, and he will dig it out so that the water begins to trickle down away from the fast-moving water, and the sheep are able to come up to those pools, and they are able to drink. And that is a picture of what Christ wants to do in his leadership in our lives is he will provide an opportunity and has provided an opportunity for us. Now, I bought this. I've always wanted one of these, and so I ordered one this week. There's no passage of Scripture in the Old Testament that's impacted my leadership and my understanding of God more than Psalm chapter 23, but I've never had a staff. And it's made of wood. It's been made by the Amish um, in Texas. This was made in Texas, in, in South Texas. And... It's made of wood, and I've pictured this week the shepherd taking this piece of wood, putting it into the ground, and allowing the water to come. You know, 2,000 years ago, God put another piece of wood in the ground, and on it his son hung. In Jesus in John 7, it says this, on the last and greatest day of the feast, this was the feast where that day they just poured water and water, and, and in this section of the temple, water was just flowing and flowing and flowing. On that last and greatest day in John 7, it says, Jesus stood up and said, if anyone is thirsty, let him come to me and drink. And this is what his leadership does for us in our lives. He calls you and I to a place of, if I'm going to have my, my, my thirst satisfied then I've got to come to Jesus he's the only one that can satisfy he's the only one that refreshes me and the church is to provide opportunities for the members to drink pure water and that's why we preach the way we do and the teach the way we do here at the church because blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness for they shall be satisfied so he refreshes he's the reservoir he makes us rest he refreshes and thirdly, he restores our soul. And I want to show up here the first picture. This is called a cast sheep. Sheep just have issues. <laughs> what happens with a cast sheep is this. Is a cast sheep may get at a place where a cast sheep just may lay down. It needs to rest, and so it lies down, and it lies there too long. And it tries to get up, and it can't get up, and so it falls over on its back. Its feet are up in the air, all four are up there. And if a shepherd doesn't see this, and the sheep has kind of wandered away, what happens is, is gases begin to build up because the sheep aren't designed to lay on their back that way, and they will literally die. The gases build up so much that it will kill the sheep. So the shepherd comes to the cast sheep, and he gets to it, and he, he, he's there with it, and he ministers to it. But then he sets it up on his feet, and he has, to, he has to take his hands and just rub the legs and rub the legs and rub the legs to work the gases that come out of the, that have built up in there so that the sheep, and sometimes they get upright and they can't really stand, and so he has to, he has to be there, and, and he has to restore them. And there's a number of beautiful pictures of how the shepherd restores, and that's one of those. 
Another one is this. Some sheep are called fence crawlers. If they have to at night live inside a pen, some sheep will go all through that fence every day, every day, every day looking for a hole because they want to get out. They think to themselves, man, that, man, it's too confining here. Why well, don't want to live in a pen? Man, freedom's out there. And what they don't realize is that when the shepherd has defined where they ought to be for a period of time, it's because he knows best. Because outside of there, he's not with them. And there are dangerous things out there that can destroy their lives. And it's a picture for us that sometimes we think God's just a robber of freedom. Just wants to take and take and take and take and, and that's not who he is. And you and I cannot and should not be a fence crawler trying to figure out how do, we, how do I get out of God's will in this area because I want to live in such a way that satisfies me. And we can't be this way because if you find a hole and you get out, you and I know this. Do we not know this? There is not life found outside away from him. It's a false life and it brings trouble. The third one is this, the young male sheep. First time they go away, he goes and gets them and he brings them back. Second time it goes away, he goes and gets it and brings it back. Third time a young boy sheep goes away, he brings it back. And when he brings it back, it's a lesson time. And so he lays that little boy sheep down on the ground and he gets down like this. And he takes one of its legs and he pulls it out. And he takes his shepherd's staff and he brings it down like this. And he injures intentionally the little sheep's leg to where it's limping and can't really walk. And so the shepherd over the next day or two has to carry that sheep until he gets restored again and healed. And what's he teaching that little boy sheep? Don't go away from me. You need to stay with me. And so I'm going to hold you near to my heart after I've wounded you because I love you and I've disciplined you because what's best for you is to stay near me. And I tell you, have you ever had that happen in your life? I have. Where God just had to come along and say, look, I'd love you but I'm going to wound you here because you need to learn a lesson. And he carries us, and it's a beautiful thing to restoration. The next one is, David, show that next picture. There it is. A lost sheep. <clears throat> Shepherd knows where he has gone during the night. He gets to a pen, and he counts the sheep. When they come in, he takes a staff, and he counts them as they enter into the, the fold. And if he realizes one is missing, he says to his friends that are there, hey, friends, I've lost one. I've got to go find them. Can somebody take my turn tonight at the, at the gate, lay down in the protection? Can you take my place? Because I've got to go find my sheep. And so he goes and he searches. He knows where he's been all day long, and he calls out, and he's listening for the bleat. It's called a bleat. He's listening for the sheep to go, okay, don't make fun of my sheep sound. And when he finds it, he picks it up, and this is what he does. He picks it up and he puts it on his shoulders and he carries it all the way back. And when he get back to the sheep pen, he lies down on the ground. And he's got a coat that's reversible, fleece at night on the outside. Um, uh, during the daytime, at nighttime, he turns it around, the fleece on the inside. And he lays down and he brings that sheep that's been lost and he lets it sleep next to his heart. Morning light comes. He gets that sheep up. He checks it. Does he need to address anything? Has it been wounded? Is there anything that's happening and taking place with it? And instead of where the little boy sheep, he wounds it, this one, he doesn't do anything. He just puts it back with the rest. You know why? It's already learned its lesson. It was alone. It was scared. It was hungry. And the shepherd has come, picked it up, carried it back, laid it near his heart during the night, and it's already learned its lesson. I can't do this again. 
it is unsafe away from the shepherd. And so he carries it back. You know, it's beautiful. I read um, this week when the shepherd leaves and he goes along, he may see some other shepherds and he'll say, Hey, friends, I've lost a sheep. Have you seen it? No, but we hope you find it. And when he finds it, he comes back carrying it like this and he'll say to those people, Hey, I found my sheep. Look, I found my sheep. And they will celebrate as he passes by carrying it and echoes Luke 15, 6. And when he comes home, he calls together his friends and his neighbors, saying to them, Rejoice with me, for I have found my sheep that was lost. Do you need restoration this morning from King Jesus the shepherd? He is here. And I love what the psalmist writes, Psalm 103, 10. He does not deal with us according to our sins, nor repay us according to our iniquities. And one of the reasons the church exists in the shepherding of people is to call people back to restoration. That he is a God who forgives. Next, he guides me in paths of righteousness for his namesake. Now listen to me. This is important. Because it would be real easy to read Psalm 23 and say, man... Gosh, I am so loved by God. Look at me. I'm the point of Psalm chapter 23. Look at me. He refreshes me. He loves me. He guides me. He feeds me. He cares for me. Me, me, me. And the point of Psalm 23 is not the sheep. The point of Psalm 23, written from the perspective of the, of the, of the sheep, saying that the shepherd is so amazing. Look what it says here. He guides me in paths of righteousness for whose sake? His sake. He does what he does for the glory and honor of his name. He guides us in paths of righteousness for his name's sake and we are not the point of the story he's the point of the story he's the center of the world the cross communicates that we must remember it and i will never ever ever apologize for an unrelenting focus on the glory of god that god does what god does for his glory not for you and i we get the benefit of it because he does what he does for the honor of his name and his glory And I will always downplay man-centered preaching that says that you and I have it within us to make this life work. No, we don't. That's why that happened. We had nothing to do to get life, so Christ had to come and die. We don't have it within us. We do not have it. And so we must come to Him. God is never in awe of any man's greatness. But he loves the honor of his name and he loves those who love his name. And our responsibility as under shepherds is to call you and I to see that God is about God and we get the benefit of that reality. This place does not exist for us, but it is to be about his glory and about his honor. Look at verse 4 now. And even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil for you are with me, your rod and your staff. They comfort me. He is a real presence in the difficult moments of life. Look at this picture here. This is a real picture in Israel. Sometimes shepherds had to take their sheep through there. See some of those holes and caves that are there? Inside those were predators that hid. So the shepherd always led in front in Israel. If you were to see, if you see shepherds in America, they're always behind the sheep, driving the sheep. But if you were to go to the eastern part of the world, 
the shepherds are always in front guiding, leading the sheep. They're taking the initial step. And so the shepherd will go through this and sheep are further back there and there's an uneasiness that's there. And so the shepherd will sing and they will echo in the walls of the canyon and they will hear and they will know he's still up front. And there's two things that he's carrying. He's carrying a staff and he's carrying a rod. Let me talk to you about the rod just for a moment. The rod is a, is a symbol picture of the Old Testament of the Word of God. It's a, it's a piece of authority. It's a piece of power. It's a defense tool that's in the hand of the shepherd. And it is never used on the sheep. So when the sheep looks at the shepherd, he's holding his rod. It's a, it's a club-like um, thing that the shepherd would carry. Um, <clears throat> and it meant hand-to-hand, face-to-face combat. We think we're really tough. Listen to what David wrote. Listen to this. Uh, let me find it. Um, where is it? Well, I'll find it in a minute. I don't know where I put that. I put that in there anyway. David, one time, speaking right before he fought um, Goliath. You remember what he told Saul? He said, listen, I, I, um, I'm not afraid of Goliath because um, I'm a shepherd and I've had to chase down a lion and grab him by the hair of his chin and take a lamb out of his mouth. And he's using his club. He's talking about using his club there. So it was when the, when the sheep saw that, that, that this club was in the hand of the shepherd, it communicated to the sheep, he is for me because he's never used that. And that communicates he's going to fight for me. And then they would use this. Sometimes they would use it. They would put it out like this. And they would grab a sheep's leg and they would pull him. It would pull them free. It would pull them close to them. Sometimes the shepherd would just take this and he just would take it. And he just would lay it against the sheep, against its side. And, the, and it communicated to the sheep, the shepherd wants to be connected to me. And sometimes in our lives, God just does that for us in this leadership he just brings some kind of blessing, some kind of moment, some kind of sense to know this. He's not far away, but he's near. And he's for me. He's going to fight for me. And he is a real presence. And though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod, I see your rod representing your word. I see your staff as representation of the Holy Spirit and that you are with me. All right, let's look at the next one. He is a reliable refuge. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. We have an enemy. We have enemies. And they will aim to paralyze us with fear. So that's why the sheep need a shepherd. Primary task of the shepherd is to feed, care for the sheep. And so he's always searching for new food, grass to eat. Sometimes it leads them to come to a new field. And so the shepherd will, if it's a field he's never come to before, he will tell the sheep to stay where they are and he will come down into the field and he'll take his staff and either this way or this way, he'll turn over rocks and limbs, uh, leaves, and he will look and he goes through every piece of the field looking for what is down in there before he brings the sheep in. He's looking for holes about this size. In Israel, there's brown snakes called adders that love to come up out of the hole and bite the sheep on the nose. I've read one story a number of years ago where one shepherd lost 200 sheep because he didn't go down into the field to prepare it. He took them down there. It was full of snakes, and they bit the sheep, and they all died. Just hundreds of them died. And so the shepherd goes down, and he prepares the field, and then he tells the sheep, 
come down into the field and they come down and they're eating. Well, the uh, vibrations of the ground, the adders can sense that. But before he gets there, he prepares the field with this. When he finds a hole that size, um, from his side, he's got hog's oil. Adders have different kind of underbelly scales, not like a rattlesnake. They're a little more smooth. They're there. And so they feel the rumbling. They try to come up out of their hole, and their scales meet the oil. And literally, in the presence of their enemies, the sheep eat until they are full. Snakes can't come out. And so somebody would say, well, what about the sheep? Since they're not so smart, do they just go stick their nose down into the hole? No, because the hog's oil, the the sheep hate the smell of the hog's oil. So it literally turns their head away from that. And literally the adders, the enemies, look on as the sheep eat. And for our lives as well, God, in a world that is anti-gospel, God has prepared this world for you and I to be able to eat, and it's His Word. It's His presence. It's who He is. He is also our relief. You anoint my head with oil, and my cup overflows. At nighttime, if there's something wrong with the sheep, the shepherd will do this. He will take some olive oil, and he will rub the olive oil into the skin of the wound. That's on. Mostly sheep are wounded in the head a lot of times, and so he will rub this olive oil into their wound and he'll have a cup and he'll take this big cup and he'll dip it into a basin in these places where the the sheep are kept kept at night and he will anoint their head with oil he will he will bind their wound and he will dip his cup after he has done that and the cup is overflowing and he brings it up to the mouth of the sheep and it drinks and that's the picture of what this means you anoint my head with oil when i am wounded And the cup that you provide for me to drink, it's not just partially full, it overflows. Psalm 34, 7 says, The angel of the Lord encamps encamps around those who fear him and delivers him. Look at that picture there. This is what this looks like. Anoint the oil. He is our relief, and he will bring relief from our enemies. All right, we'll close with this. Surely goodness and mercy, goodness and love will follow me all the days of my life and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. The ending of this is He is the reward of our lives. Our great reward, listen to me, heaven is going to be awesome. Heaven isn't great if Christ is not there. So the ultimate reward is not heaven just for heaven's sake, but heaven is so awesome Because the glory of Christ reigns there. And so he ultimately is the reward. And so David, writing again, I believe, at the end of his life, looking back over his life, and he knew he guides me in paths of righteousness because God's concerned about his glory. He wants to see me finish. He wants me to do well. So I follow him. He's in front. He's leading. I go where he goes. And if I walk with there, it doesn't mean that I don't go through the valley of the shadow of death because I'm following him. And so I may have to deal with certain things, but he's going to lead me. But sometimes I'm going to be in need of restoration because I've stepped away from his leadership and I've done my own thing and I'm wounded. I'm hurt because of the decision that I've made. And even in the midst of that, as he has restored me, I'm brought back in his leadership. And now David, as an older man, an old king, looking back over his life, and he looked back at some of those moments like, 
Uriah and Bathsheba and Absalom and some of the other decisions that he made that did not honor the Lord. And he looked back and he saw that even in those moments, you know what God was doing? God was at work. Even in the stupidity of our lives, God uses those moments to teach us valuable lessons that he must be trusted. He can, we can bank on him. And watch this. We live sandwiched between his leadership and his working behind us of teaching lessons, working things in our lives. And we see that it follows us all the days of our lives. Look at that beautiful picture there of that shepherd with his sheep. I want to close with this. You've heard this before, but hear it fresh. Sometimes a shepherd brings his sheep into a field and they're eating and he knows they're hungry and they're eating, but one sheep will stop eating and just stare up at the shepherd. And I was going back through my notes this, um, this week. Um, I saw something I've forgotten to tell about this. When he sees that sheep just staring at him, it's time that he doesn't call that sheep to come to him. It's a time that he goes to that sheep. And when he gets down to the sheep, and I'm going to leave the staff there because I don't have a club. Um, I couldn't, you can't order a sheep club. But anyway, I tried. I looked, but you can't order a sheep club. you got to make one. I thought about calling Cisco, but it was too late. Anyway, he will come to that sheep that's just staring at him. And he will take the club, which is that he never uses against the sheep, and he will hold it up like this. He brings it down real hard, and he stops right before it hits the back, and it just touches the wool of the sheep. And when he does that, the sheep jumps right next to the shepherd, and the shepherd gets on his knee. And he takes his arm, and he puts it around the sheep, and he tickles it under its neck. He sings to it. He scratches its ear, and he stays there as everybody else is eating until the sheep is done and wants to start eating again. And shepherds say that what that sheep is communicating is this. More than the provision that you've given me, I want your presence. You're worth just being. It's worth it for me, not what you give, but it's more worth it to me in this moment for who you are. And I want to close with that thought. When is the last time you and I looked up from all the things that Christ has blessed us with? And said, I don't need anything else. I just need you. And he'll come right where we are. And he'll hold us, sing to us, and remind us and tell us, you're worth it. I love you. I love you. You're mine. I've marked you. I've bought you. I am willing to lay my life down for the sheep. That's who he is. So that's a picture of... Before you can even talk about how do you shepherd people in a church, you've got to understand what a shepherd is, and that's what a shepherd is. Let's pray.